Hello, Pivoters. Welcome to Pivoting Out of EDU, your podcast designed to provide you with the inspiration, confidence, and strategies for making a pivot away from campus-based positions in education toward other opportunities. Hosts, Drs. Jamie Hoffman and Tom Stuttert pivoted out of campus-based positions and are loving it. Now they are giving back and supporting others doing the same. Hello, and welcome to Pivoting Out of EDU. I'm Jamie Hoffman. And I'm Tom Stutter. And we are here today with Amy Callahan, who I have known for a very long time. Her husband is uh, one of my brother's best friends, and he's known me since I was very young and did very, very a lot of immature inappropriate things and all of the boys like to tell those stories so i'm sure tom would love to have uh callie <laughs> on the, yeah, we uh, could probably dedicate a whole podcast to those stories let's do that <laughs> probably probably but uh amy is i've known her for a very long time as well and um we have you know had intersections where we've done things um, in the educational sector in our county as well notably things that amy has invited me to and I'm just excited to have you on to be able to kind of help folks. You know, we have a fair amount of people in K-12 who listen to the podcast, um, many of which are teachers, and they just don't really see um, what else could be out there for them. And and we do have a lot of people who work in higher ed that listen for the same reason. And it's, it's just interesting because we're not ever really prepared or trained to think about how you can leverage your teaching skills or your, your higher ed experience in any other environment. And so this is kind of the purpose of the podcast and your perspective, super valuable because I know that you were a fantastic teacher. And the one thing too that we share in common, this podcast was born in Hawaii which is uh, where Amy taught and lived for quite some time. So, uh, yes, Tom and I were drinking um, some lovely beverages on the top of a pool. I think I might have just added in. Um, I think I lied. I don't think we were drinking. I can't, maybe we just wished we were. I think, cool, we, were, I think we were playing anyway. with the kids. <laughs> yeah. Amy, yeah, where, that's probably where, which island did you uh, work on? Well, because I worked uh, not only for a company after being in education, but education meaning in the classroom. I work for an education technology company, but I also work for the Hawaii Supreme Court. So I needed to visit and be a part of and engage with all islands. But we lived on Oahu when we first moved there and even when we moved back several years later. Okay. Uh, I have um, in my background when I worked for USC as the director of orientation, we went to Oahu every year to, well, the, the admission office would go there and recruit students, but then my office would follow up uh, usually in May and we would do an orientation program for all the students from the islands. And we hosted it at uh, at, at the Iolani school. Um, and so I, I used to I used to go to the Iolani school and think, oh my goodness, this high school is more like a college campus. It was so beautiful. So Yes, yes, yes. Iolani, Punahou, and I also taught, they always share that the big three is, I taught at Kamehameha. Kamehameha. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say that those are the three that I'm most familiar with. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's a good segue, Amy, to, I mean, I think what would be great is if you capture sort of your background um, and journey so that folks know where you've come from and then what you're doing today. I appreciate that. Thank you. 
you know, it's always a great time to kind of reflect. I am 44, about to turn 45. I always knew I wanted to be a teacher. I really, I feel that here in Ventura Unified, which was where we were both born and raised and also educated, Jamie, from elementary school on through high school, I knew early on that I always wanted to be a teacher and specifically around a teacher for social studies or political science. And that I think holds true because of a lot of my advocacy work was instilled at an early age coming from a family of social workers. So I really feel that that was instilled by my mom and and my dad and in many parts. So I kind of share that reflection and background also because, you know, growing up, my last name is my maiden name is Yamamoto. And I grew up in a a community where we're very much family and we are very close knit. However, I was as far as my nationality, I am half Caucasian and half Japanese. And why I share that is because there were very few Asians in general and definitely very few Japanese growing up. And so it was an interesting piece to kind of identify where culture comes in, where diversity and inclusion comes in, and also this unique background to study about uh, Japanese internment camps that my family was a part of. And, and that and that being unique for my story and um, being really intrigued about what that looks like in classrooms um, as teachers and being able to make sure we're instilling diversity, equity, and inclusion in our classes and in our teaching. But specifically, I found that that vehicle and conduit was through social studies type classes. So long story short, always knew I wanted to be a teacher. I had an opportunity. I was blessed to be accepted to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo um, for teaching. What I love about the Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, no offense to our USC folks, but I needed a state school because although my parents paid for a certain amount, I did foot the bill a lot for my um, college education and I needed to make sure that I could afford a state school. And I, and I got really great grades in high school um, and I got really great grades in college as well. But one thing that I attribute the most, yes, was the textbooks and what I learned, but was that at Cal Poly, it was a learn by doing motto. It is still to this day. And it exposed me to really see in this career technical education type form that we all know about that sure enough, they literally threw me into classrooms. I think we had six different modules of teaching situations from the correctional facility to an elementary school to a go coach basketball because you might need to do that at a middle school. And oh, by the way, you may also need to lead history day. So I share that because early on, I was really blessed to be really thrown in, to be able to see the different experiences before investing further in my career to know, yep, sure enough, this is what I want to graduate with and do. I and I will share this because I am on the, on the school board. I taught at seven different schools in, ooh, I think, four different states, might be officially three. So we'll have to go back on that um, piece. But I never got my credential. I never got my credential. And one of the reasons is because, and people always kind of look like, oh my goodness, wow, you know, is because I couldn't afford, I couldn't afford to continue to invest in 
my education debt and and know that I'd be making and, and literally out of college, I graduated in four years, which was really hard to do at Cal Poly. I got a job right out of college and it was it was through a network. It was through someone we grew up with, Jamie. And it was a... So when you kind of ask, how do you get these positions? It's... You know, I think it is what you know, but it's also who you know, and it's putting out there that network. And so I was recruited by the headmaster through a connection of a friend for Crossroads Schools. And he was starting new schools called the New Road Schools in the Santa Monica area. And in addition to that, he was a consultant for what we almost call unique opportunity schools that were essentially failing. And so he, uh, and what he did in part, uh, and Dr. Uh, Paul Cummins is his name. Many people know Paul. I, I got to be embraced by him, having no idea what was happening. But what he would do is find eager, starry-eyed, freshly graduated and minted grads, grab them, take them into his schools that he was consulting for. And then I love you, Paul, if you're listening. Um, but we paid, got paid pennies. I mean, we I, my first contract was 25000 living in LA. And so I share that because I didn't get my credential because I got a job. I worked at an independent school. I got on on the ground training. And I kind of figured, okay, I had this coursework to see if I wanted to teach. Now I have this opportunity to see if I really want to do it. And I don't have to pay a single dime, right? And so I um, taught at the Korean Institute of Southern California, failing school. Uh, Long story short, I learned more than anyone would ever want to learn on the job from uh, federal marshals to embezzlement to Korean um, government wondering where their million dollars is, etc. So we don't want to be subpoenaed here either. But I do know is that I learned by doing and living um, the position. And I share that is because I took that philosophy and, and literally kind of jumped school to school, state to state, for about five years. And the reason I did that is because as my college friends, and I just share this because I think a lot of people relate in that they think that the pathway is go to school, get your credential, do all this kind of pre-work without quite even stepping into a classroom. And I use, I, I always use this philosophy, remember where you come from and follow your heart. And so that was exactly what happened is I wanted to learn the culture I started teaching around teaching tolerance and I wanted what better way to learn about a culture and manifest yourself into a community other than being a teacher. So I worked for the Korean Institute of Southern California. I worked at a rural Texas school um, that literally I was not allowed to talk about reconstruction or the KKK. They literally had what they would have KKK rallies. I'm teaching again, social studies in Texas. I, I went to Hawaii where I taught at a private all-girls school called La Pietra, Hawaii School for Girls, where literally some of my students' parents were um, royalty from different countries um, to Hawaii's uh, Kamehameha School that were around Ike Hawaii, which means to know Hawaii, and of course, was brought to us by Princess Pauahi's Trust for Hawaiian students. So I shared that. I think I caught all of them up. Shall have it, which was for Mon Orthodox Jewish School, where they had a Zionist movement out of LA. And so 
No, it, it, it was kind of bouncing back and forth, state to state. But I did that because I wanted to immerse myself into a cultures that I never knew. And I couldn't afford to go to travel the country or travel to uh, different different states. This was all pre-Teach for America. And I do preface that because I tell you, I would have done Teach for America in two seconds. And as you know, in Teach for America's philosophy, it is always give back to, to where you came from and make sure you're giving back to education. So my last kind of piece in this, as far as the education background is, I was recruited. I always laugh because I, I really taught at seven different, I think it's six or seven different schools in, again, three different states, California, Texas, Hawaii. And then I had my own consulting firm, but that was after teaching in Arizona. Did I give enough of the background? Yes. Um, No, that's really good. I think it's good for people to hear too, that there's actually sometimes we have people who are in higher ed that have thought about going to teach. So it's kind of good to hear the alternative kind of pathway as well. It doesn't always I mean, I think it was different times, but still, it doesn't always have to be the teaching credential. But now we'd love to hear sort of how did you make the pivot to ed tech or ed adjacent? I'm wondering if it's the who you know, but I'm not, <laughs> I don't know. Let's hear. Let's hear. Like, and what, what inspired the, the change, I think, would be good for folks to hear, too. Because kind of taking that follow your heart, I am a firm believer that things happen for a reason and you just walk through doors of opportunity. I I just, that's my personality. Although I've walked through some doors and they've been tough and they've been hard. Every single one, I've had a learning uh, moment and a new experience that I can put down into my portfolio per se (laughs) of life, this portfolio called life. And so I was uh, teaching at La Pietra Hawaii School for Girls with my beloved and still best friend, Jessica Karu Take. And we co-taught and it was, I always call it, it was fake land. <laughs> it was literally fake land. In 2000, we had Apple computers that we could walk down to uh, Kaimana Beach and do journal writings and we had Wi-Fi. Again, did you hear me say this is in 2000? Um, so it was fake land. You know, it was um, just the most amazing experience ever in my teaching career. I have a class of 24 kids. And in that, I also, because I didn't have my master's degree, but I really was still interested in learning, I signed up for every grant possible or cohort possible. And there was a cohort that was formed through uh, civic education. At the time, we had a democracy act. Um, It was right after Columbine. And it was called the Southern Poverty Law Center here actually out of Calabasas that had grants for different participants in different states where you could get together a cohort of educators to discuss things like foundations of democracy, to discuss uh, what does it mean when youth influence public policy? What does that look like? And nine times out of 10, it was under the umbrella of the state legislator. And at some point, either housed through, let's say, the Bar Association of that state or the um, judiciary branch which was really interesting. And so in Hawaii, it was our chief justice, Ronald Justice Moon, who housed this forum and this this cohort. And we literally had our professional development sessions in, you know, where uh, Hawaii Five-0, King Kamehameha Statue, that was the building. And we were on the top floor and 
I had the most intriguing, fascinating group of educators around me, speakers. And in that, they basically said, hey, we're hiring. I mean, literally, so I was a teacher. I went through this, you know, it was a grant and I went through this whole cohort for about a year. I had a network. My other co um, member that was a part of that, Amy Peruso, is now a state legislator, former teacher for Hawaii Supreme Court. And I I got offered the education specialist position at the Hawaii State Judiciary Center. And so that's, that's, I guess it is who you know, but it's also showing up, um, walking through those doors, following your heart, continuing your education that that led to this position. From there, I got recruited to be a a vice president of professional development because I just adored professional development. I really thought that that was a forum to scale best practices um, and like-minded individuals. This is pre-day of Zoom and everything else that we have. And so I got asked to work for a startup company right when supplemental education services were released um, in Hawaii. So I quickly went pivoted out of education went to another public organization in a different light as an ed specialist and then and running programs like We the People, Project Citizen, Mock Trial, many people know of Mock Trial, to pivoting out of that pretty quickly to the corporate world. So long story short, it is absolutely was through a network. And I can't even believe I meant, didn't mention this. The, the state representative of our Project Citizen program that I did in the classroom that I was a part of this grant and cohort was really led by our state representative for the Center for Civic Education, Dr. Lila Berg. And to this day, Dr. Lila Berg is my mentor and role model and my and my everything. So Lila, if you're hearing, she saw something in me that I didn't see. I just, I really didn't. <laughs> and she literally grabbed me. This is back in the day when we still did service learning. Remember that? And professional development. She literally grabbed me and said, you are presenting with me. <laughs> you're presenting with me. Um, I'm going to teach you. I'm going to, she just, she did everything that we want from a, a woman leader to be lifting up other women leaders. She's she just, we just did it together. Pivoting out of EDU, we'll be right back after this quick message. Coaching Through It is a podcast hosted by myself, Laura Pasquini, and Julie Larson. We're two former higher education professionals who made the jump to corporate life and now are learning what professional coaching is all about. Coaching Through It will offer you and explain what coaching actually is and how it might help your pivot out of EDU and support your career transition. We'll be digging into coaching tools, techniques, and resources that we find useful. Not only will you get these tools, but you'll find out what's useful for you and where you're at in your career. We're both career coaches and support transitions and pivots. And we have a number of other coaches you might want to learn from as we feature them on interviews on the pod. And let's get real. We've been friends for over a decade, so you might just hear an episode or two of us coaching one another. And a bit of real talk of what it's like to be in the world of work and how transitions and pivots happen today. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast, as we'll be coaching through it. And now, back to the show. So, Amy, first of all, thank you for your story. I, I really appreciate it. I, I loved, uh, particularly in the very beginning, when you talked about wanting to be a social studies teacher. Um, that was actually my background. I, uh, I did not go to USC for undergrad. I went to a state school as well. I went to Arizona State for my undergrad and got a degree in, in secondary education to teach social studies and civics, particularly I actually student taught civics. And I think that that's 
uh, still manifests itself today in my passion for politics, which I think some of my friends probably get a little bit bored with me around sort of election time because I become super uh, political junkie and political nerd. So I appreciate the story. I appreciate, appreciate the background. I'm curious because you have made the transition to ed tech and sort of your story might be a little bit different in terms of the networking, but I'm curious, like if, you know, we've heard from, uh, from a few folks in higher ed who've broken into ed tech, but you're one of the first that have really, we've talked to that's, bro- that's gone from K-12 to ed tech. And so I'm curious, sort of two things. One, what in your roles and responsibilities as a teacher um, helps you sort of position yourself appropriately for the role that you're in now? But then also the advice that maybe you have specifically for K-12 teachers who are thinking ed tech might be the next step for them, things that they might want to focus on, things that they might want to do, the, the network that they might want to build, et cetera. What, what sort of advice do you have for, for, for that particular sector of, of, of our listeners? I'll go into the skill quickly, and then I want to just quickly, because I just think teachers are the most amazing um, individuals and professionals ever. And so the skill set is, is, you know, I know we're not supposed to be the stage in the stage, but, you know, we know we all, it is a production to be a teacher. It is, you are collaborative, you are problem solving, you have to be nimble, you have to be smart, you have to be prepared, you need to. Um, so as far as the skill set goes, I, I can't emphasize enough emotional intelligence. I still work on this to this day, as my husband will attest to. But um, <laughs> I think our emotional intelligence as educators, I, we teachers just have such a strong skill set around that and to com- continue to invest in that and anchor and elevate that is just so important. And I, w- I wouldn't have said this probably 15 years ago. I really wouldn't. But now... Now that I pivoted into ed tech, K-12 ed tech in particular, I can't emphasize that enough is uh, bringing that skill set and, and fine tuning into that, that skill set. Advice that I would give for folks, I don't know. I mean, everyone jokes. I am in sales. I'm a senior account executive. I am currently number two in the, our team, um, but it's just me and another partner and he's new, but we're number two in the entire company. And, and I always share this because I never thought I would be in the field of sales ever. I always thought of myself and still do. <laughs> Sometimes I change my t- title. So it's not all legal, um, but is I'm a consultant. I'm in the ring with you. So what and I why I share this is because don't pivot out too quickly. We need good teachers. Don't you know a lot of in my work I see a lot of people that you know couldn't last. It was one or two years. And to be quite honest, they don't have enough of the bench stories or the experience to share as that consultant to to kind of last as long as they need to. So my thing is, is don't cut yourself short. Um, the grass is not always greener. Uh, teaching is such a noble profession to a point as I was preparing for this, because it's hit me for a few times after I'm off the school board, I may think about pivoting right back into the classroom. Because, but as far as preparing yourself is, you know, is making sure that you read, you know, get uh, kind of like, what are some skill sets? I, I am a natural, I'm a social studies teacher. It's interesting though, and this is embarrassing because I'm in literacy. I do not read books. I read articles. I read, I'm on newsletters. I listen to blogs like this. I listen to NPR. And so I just follow your heart and your interest. But 
read, get, you know, sign up to these newsletters. EdSource here in California, Education Week, Dolly, um, Leaders to Learn From. Watch those videos, be inspired and hear um, how other folks um, have led. And I think that is going to do you well when you when you kind of couch yourself and frame yourself as a consultant. And, and really, in order to get in the ring with these instructional leaders who just have such an arduous task in front of them, you have to live it a bit. You need that some of that sweat equity. And I also think getting involved in different um, organizational groups from, you know, I'm, I'm a volunteer with, uh, at the time when my kids were little with First Things First. I also, you know, the civic education stuff. I was the regional director in both California and in Hawaii. So get involved with organizations that you are following your heart. And lots of times they're super cheap and it's, um, and it's a fun network to be a part of. But that is important. Yeah, lots of great advice with regard to, you know, how, how teachers can think about their skill set and, and leverage that. And I love the fact that you talked about sales because that is something that, co- that comes up to us because we do, we can, well, we serve as consultants as well for folks that wanted to pivot out. And a lot of times are like, I don't want to do sales. But we have had a couple of times on this season it come up that people will say, you know, honestly, if you're, if you're, if you're looking to sell something that you truly believe in, it doesn't really feel like sales. So it sounds like that's kind of the, the lens that you take as well. And we also have a fair amount of people that are kind of newer professionals that want to pivot out. And I think the advice of encouraging them to stay and get more experience. I mean, I personally think that's, that's valid because it does, it will help them stand out as being, you know, more marketable, including in like higher ed ed tech. But speaking about standing out, I guess that's a question that a lot of our listeners and, and folks ask us is like, let's say they do want to apply for a sales position. Let's, you know, let's say they're a teacher who loves a certain like technology tool or app and they have a, you know, a good, you know, command of technology. So they want to throw their name in the hat. What are some suggestions you would have for them so that their like resume specifically could stand out and they could get their foot in the door to an interview? Well, I know I keep, (laughs) it's who you know. (laughs) Actually, um, there's a position that's open in our organization and it's a pretty high level academic position. And believe it or not, though, it's still couched under the, our sales and business development side of things. And there was 400 plus applicants um, that applied for this one position and they're taking the top 15. And, and, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, they asked me because I know the recruiter and I've been with this organization now for eight years and I've done it pretty well. And they had asked, you know, I said, how is this certain person's application going? And because I was able to Zoom chat them, this, the recruiter grabbed the application and saw how this person scored and basically asked me if, if I thought this person you know, was going to get moved up or not and should be in the top 15. So literally in one little Zoom chat and internal communication, that could have been, you know, that person could have got the interview. So how do you stand out? Like if I'm to look at the 400 applicants, right? Like kind of let's just get it to brass tacks. 
let's say you don't know anyone and you really love this app and you really love this company. First off, every time, every job that I personally have gotten, I have been tapped on the shoulder for. So I think it's an interesting piece of, I don't get to be, be open and communicative be yourself, but get to know who the people are. Who are the managers? Who ask those questions? Go look on the website. Go, I mean, don't stalk them, but go to LinkedIn, follow <laughs> their articles, go on to their blogs. And and I would say one thing that I would find personally attractive, and gosh, I don't know how far this goes, your reach, but I am very big about if we're going to be talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion and hiring as such. I feel so blessed that with the Black Lives Continuing Movement and Black Lives Matter Movement, corporations are finally, finally acknowledging, let's take a peek at this. And to a point of, I think if today, if to stand out, get your certification, get your certification around some sort of... DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion certificate, coursework, uh, training. I'm a part of a, um, I applied within my company. So that's after getting through the door for the McKinsey Leadership Asian Executive Cohort. I start, I think in a few weeks, but I'm sure there's other, and this is just specific to our private equity firm. I will be a representative of our company, but we are our private equity firm owns 40 others. I think it's 40 or 50 others. But there's other examples out there. And I really do, especially here in California, but other places too. It makes you stand out. It shows initiative. How are you going to... And I always say this, and be conscious of your brand. I, and I, everyone always says, it's like, oh, well, you're so good at like marketing and I don't even I don't even know the first things. I was I'm self-taught, right? I, I well, I went to you, Dr. Hoffman, <laughs> to say how much marketing stuff, right? But I think another piece is invest in your brand. What is your brand? Almost think of it like a campaign. And I know that sounds really unauthentic, but in a campaign, you have to know who you are, where you've come from, and why you do what you do. And what do you stand for? And I think that matters. If you can saliently put that together and let's say a 30 minute or 30 second, sorry, a clip, that resonates. Get that out on LinkedIn and start joining the organizations, you know, like here in California, the California Latino School Board, uh, School Board Association. We have CASA, we have CALSA, we have um, AXA, we have our Parent Advisory Council. So there are so many out there, but follow your heart and what you are about and then be ready to have your own elevator speech in 30 seconds of who you are, why you do what you do and what your background is and what you believe in moving forward. That's great. And, you know, I, I also feel, feel like doing the elevator speech and like, what is your brand? I think that will help people to think about what they what positions they really want to do because sometimes people will be like I want to work in ed tech and when we dig in it's like well they don't actually really like technology (laughs) they just like the idea of like working remotely and I appreciate that but that may not help them get their foot in the door so uh, I think really thinking about your brand and what is important to you is very valuable connecting with others networking 
I think that's something that you truly excel at and you gave some really, really great examples. I'd encourage people to think of too about this is a bit like different, but you know, I'd encourage people to think about go on LinkedIn and think about the companies that you might be interested in working for. And do see if you know anyone, this part's not different, but see if you know anyone that works there and don't like discredit a former student. Like that could, it's not that that former student necessarily can get you the job. Although Tom's former student is, is the CEO and owner of his company. So you never know, but like, you know, maybe you can at least reach out and say, is this a company that I would enjoy working at? And then see where the conversation goes, if they can help you kind of get a job. But there are lots of different pathways to get your your connections and foot in the door. And I think you've done really well highlighting that. So thank you for sharing all of that. Um, I think that it really will give people um, some things that they can think about to do. And I share that Dr. Hoffman too, is I was late in the game in filling out my LinkedIn. And I even, when I was seriously looking from, because I was in PD for, I was a vice president of a professional development um, organization through Common Core. I know that's not officially ed tech, but it was because of the tool we utilized. I still kind of was dancing and toggling in that forum. And so when I was looking to transition to another position, uh, I knew it always needed to be mission and vision focused as a consultant around what I truly believe around teaching tolerance. And in some sort, right? And so, um, and how we're going to level the playing field with our equity gaps. But I I was late to the game in my LinkedIn. And I wish I would have had that because when people would ask me my elevator speech, as you can see, um, one person might say like, oh, wow, she doesn't know how to keep a job. She's been there for a year and there for a year. And she's just like a little ping pong. (laughs) But I used, I needed the link. And when they asked me about the elevator speech, I would say, oh, you know, no, no, I just used to be a teacher. And that was it. Like I didn't, I couldn't talk about all the other experiences that I've had and what I use my, that I, you know, and so LinkedIn helped me saliently organize and orchestrate that. And, and the only reason I went into sales in ed tech, the only reason is because my husband lost his job and we had kids and I needed an easier life because if not, I don't think our marriage and um, we definitely couldn't have afforded to live in Hawaii. So I I share some really personal stories as a working woman and mother. I chose sales because of the flexibility and that I could be an entrepreneur of my own business. And I'd never seen myself as an entrepreneur before. So I guess maybe that's another story is get your LinkedIn, study your brand, and what are you, and don't, don't oversee, and I still probably, it's eight, technically 15 years in, I still don't see myself in sales. <laughs> Everyone jokes. <laughs> and it's because I don't follow the money. And it's interesting. I've talked to so many sales managers, like, well, what motivates you? I'm like, change and impact motivates me. Inspiring other educators motivates me. Being a part of that story and that transition uh, just fills my cup. Money doesn't. So also, I would like to say, it, and I make a, I make a very good living, a very good living, and I am not working nearly as hard as I did my first year of teaching. But if someone was to come across my desk and say, I'm here because I want to make X salary, it, eh, not my cup of tea. Yeah, that's another that's another thing. 
<laughs> well, Amy, we really appreciate the opportunity to chat with you. I think your story is going to really resonate, particularly, um, you know, having moved from multiple sort of uh, teaching roles and to ed tech and, and to some extent really following your passion. And, and, and I love that you talk about sales as a consultant role or work for a sales organization, although I, I'm not on the sales team. And I, I know we teach our sales teams to really think about, you know, you're more of a consultant than, than a salesperson. And so uh, it certainly, I think, will resonate well with the folks who are interested or who have may said, oh, I don't want to do sales um, and sort of maybe reframing what that looks like. I also think your story around creating your identity, digital or otherwise, is really important. I think, you know, in sales and in sales organizations, we use elevator pitch and elevator uh, stories quite a bit. And for those of you listening out there, really, that's, that's a huge part of who your identity should be. When you think about creating your resume, when you think about your interview, when you think about your LinkedIn profile, creating that elevator pitch for yourself is, is a really important aspect of it. I know Jamie and I, when we talk with our with our the individuals who contacted us for consulting gigs, you know, we 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 sort of shape your resume around that, right? Your first sort of piece of your resume is that quote unquote professional summary, which should be you know ultimately the start of your elevator pitch, at least the 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 written communication piece of that. So uh, for those of you who listen, who are listening, remember that Jamie and I do offer consulting opportunities to help create your digital identity um, and to help you with your resume. So don't hesitate to contact us if there's something that we can do to help you with doing that um, uh, and, and follow the advice that Amy shared with us. Also, again, thank you for listening to the Pivoting Out of EDU podcast. Always excited to have our listeners uh, hear our stories, uh, hear the, the guests of our stories. Uh, if you want to contact us, you can do that at pivotingoutofedu at gmail.com. And again, uh, thank you, Amy. Thank you, Jamie. And we look forward to seeing our listeners next week. Thank you for listening to Pivoting Out of EDU. For show notes and more information about the podcast, visit pivotingoutofedu.com. If you're thinking about pursuing an opportunity outside of your campus-based position or know someone who is, Visit our website for advice and resources and learn Jamie and Tom's private consultations offered to support you in your journey. If you think this podcast was awesome, please consider giving us a five-star rating.